Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. It's that time again, folks, the International News Review with Steve Okin, Senior Advisor at McClarty Associates. And as always, Steve, we start in the world of the Republicans of the United States. What's the latest? Well, it was a historic week in a very bad way in the United States, and it's because an extraordinarily small faction of the Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives voted to expel uh, Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. That has never happened Mm. before. And so you now have a situation where because of the rules in which the Republicans operate, because of the rules in which the Congress operates, and because there's absolutely – no trust basically between the two parties right now, a small band of very radical people can dictate what happens or doesn't happen in the United States. And it's very bad for democracy. It's very bad for global for, for the globe as well, because this is going to have huge global implications, not just U.S. implications. And let's put it into context for our listeners. His crime, in inverted commas, is to basically help avoid a government shutdown over the weekend. Yes, by working together, bipartisan support with Democrats and Republicans. And as you mentioned, this upset the far-right elements of the Republicans who will not compromise at the moment. Well, it really, you you got to take it a step back earlier. And so for Kevin McCarthy, who's very conservative, but, but a reasonable, very conservative mm. person, for him to get the votes to be speaker, he had to agree with a very few number of Republicans that he would put in a rule that allowed one person only out of a caucus of over 200, one person could put forth what they would call a motion to vacate. And if that one person put forth a motion to vacate, then the speaker could be removed by a majority vote of the House. And so, unfortunately, that is what happened. And, you know, there, you know I think it was a, an anchor on CNN said that the minute that motion to vacate was given to that very small radical wing of the Republican Party. It's like the, you know, the saying, if you introduce a gun in Act 1, by Act 3, that gun's going to have to go off. And so it turns out Act 3 happened in September of this year. Gun went off, shot McCarthy out of the speakership. Mm. I see some similarities this week, actually, with the uh, British Conservative Party, where they've had their Conservative Party conference. And Liz Truss, the former prime minister, you remember her, who didn't outlast a lettuce, is making something of a comeback because... You have this small, loud, far-right element of the Conservative Party almost fighting for the soul of the Conservative Party and, and having influence arguably greater than their numbers. Is that something similar playing out with the Republicans? No, I mean, it's exactly what played out, except it was even it's, – it's even worse in the type of system – we have versus a parliamentary system. So so you're going to have even more say over what is going to happen. And when you have a great majority of the House of Representatives that wants to continue to give aid to Ukraine, but what's happening is that you can have literally five people overturning what should be a very consensus U.S. foreign policy. And so now people are very concerned, will the United States continue to aid Ukraine in its battle against Russia? If they don't, 
what's going to happen. And so that's what I'm saying there is global implications for this. How does this help or not help Donald Trump? Well, it really doesn't, I think, impact Donald Trump directly because we know who Donald Trump is. Like, if, if you haven't figured out who Donald Trump mm. is by now, if you haven't been able to figure out if you support him or don't support him, then I don't think you've been living on planet Earth. So in some ways, Trump is Trump, and that's, that's done. If this shows that the Republicans are not capable of governing as a party, then it could very much impact how the House vote comes in the next president. Next year, we have the president elected, we have the Senate elected, we have the House elected. So it could impact that. It could lower the intensity of people wanting to go out to vote because they're disgusted by the Republican Party. So there might be some soft Republicans who just say, I'm going to stay home. Maybe there's some independents who are kind of, and there's very few, but those few persuadables, maybe they'll say, we can't have the Republicans in charge over this. So it can't help him because he's already got everybody who he's going to have locked up. So it, it could hurt marginally it could very much hurt the republicans going into the midterm and into the into the presidential elections there well let's move on then to former president donald trump another day another week another update on a trump trial it is very hard to keep up but this is the one in new york for his civil fraud trial but it is genuinely difficult at this point steve to keep up with the trials here in singapore give us an overview first of what's been happening in new york this week Well, what's happened in New York this week, this is a civil trial, so Donald Trump can't go to jail for this one, unlike the others, but Donald Trump could lose his ability to conduct business in New York. And why is that? And it is because the attorney general's office in New York has alleged and a judge has found that the Trump organization has lied and lied and lied about their business. They've lied about how much their business was worth. They inflated the value of all of the properties. They, they said that more than two billion, just in, in crazy ways. And then why did they do this? They did this so that because if you have more assets, you can get better rates when you go for your loans. Mm. And so when they would go to banks, they would say, this is how much assets we have in collateral, and then they could get better loans. And so um, what happened was they defrauded the banks. And so the judge has already found that that has occurred. And now we are in to the penalty phase. And Donald Trump is really, really, really worried about this one. He's worried about mm. this one so much he's actually shown up at the trial. Yes, well, I've read many articles suggesting that this could lead to the dismantling of Trump's business empire. Could that play out conceivably? Well, maybe not the entire empire, but he's got a lot of key properties in New York. I mean, mm. Trump Tower being one, Trump National Golf Course being another. He has other hotels in New York City. So this could really impact what their business would look like going forward. It could obviously have a if he could, he got fined in the hundreds of millions of dollars. That of course would impact um, the Trump organization. And so this has led Donald Trump to even 
further escalate his extraordinarily dangerous rhetoric. Um, and it's gotten so bad, the judge had to issue a gag order on Donald Trump. And this is where we have a lot of issues, First Amendment issues in the United States, because Donald Trump is running for president. So you want him to be able to say what he should be able to say as a former president, as a political figure. But when he is now posting photos of the judge's clerk and talking about how bad these people are, how the system is rigged against them. That is going to put people's lives in danger. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I did want to ask you, look, you just think there's no depth that that man can go. And yet this week, the violent rhetoric coming out of the Donald Trump camp. I mean, I saw the speech he gave, I think, at the California uh, GOP convention last week. He said, we'll stand up to crazy Nancy Pelosi, who ruined San Francisco. And then he says, as a joke, how's her husband doing, by the way? Does anybody know? This is in reference to Paul Pelosi, an 82-year-old man, remember, who was attacked in his own home by a hammer-wielding assailant. And this got laughter from within. I'm rather speechless on this one, Steve. Where do we go from here? He's even done worse than that, where he said that the former chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Miley, who was, you know, stood up to Donald Trump, has been pretty public in saying that there has to be the separation between the military and the civilian. And and he has made clear that that he is going to do what he needs to do as being the top U.S. general. And Donald Trump said upon his retirement that, that, you know, people like Miley used to be executed. And so we've already seen people die in the United States because of the words that Donald Trump has said. Um, and now we unfortunately could see more deaths. And this isn't being exaggerated. And this gets back to the people in the Republican Party have got to say enough is enough. But it will they? So far, very few have been willing to do that because – Donald Trump has a lock on a extraordinarily significant part of what used to be the Republican Party. I mean, it's almost a Trump party right now. And so the rhetoric is is it, it is getting worse, if one could even imagine, looking at what happened at, at January 6th. And so far, nothing is being done to stop it other than one judge in New York putting out a partial gag order about ta- him talking about the, the judge, his clerks, and, and the other officers of the court in that trial. Yeah, it's shocking. It is shocking. Speaking of getting worse, this summer 2023 was the hottest ever recorded. The climate crisis and the effect of El Nino pushed up temperatures. We had extreme weather across the world. What's going on, Steve? Well, the climate crisis. I'll be on the obvious. The climate crisis is here. 2023 is going to be potentially the hottest year in global history, if not certainly in the last 70 or so years. Um, It's part of that is because you've got this El Nino, El Nino weather pattern. So, Is that what's going to be causing all the haze that's coming here? Because you're going to see the increased forest fires. So everybody is having to live with this. We've seen hundreds, thousands of people across the world die because of extreme weather. We saw it in Maui. We saw it in Libya. Um, We're living with, with it in Southeast Asia. And so we now need to have governments in business do two things, and that 
they are going to have to mitigate the impacts of climate change and they're going to have to adapt to climate change. Those two things are going to be difficult to do. They're going to be costly to do. But do we have a choice? Well, Dr. Frederick Otto at Imperial College London said, Breaking heat records has become the norm in 2023. Global warming continues because we have not stopped burning fossil fuels. It really is that simple, he says. And it is. But what's going to change? You're in ESG. I mean, let's, let's look at it from a positive perspective. You meet businesses every week. It's part of your job. You deal with the ESG from McClarty Associates. Give us something positive, something optimistic on a Saturday morning. Well, I think there is clearly the recognition that you have, you know, what, we, what, what I've referred to, others refer to, is the E versus S challenge. So ESG is environmental, social, and governance. When you take an action to reduce emissions from an environmental perspective, you are also in, in, in likelihood hurting people's livelihoods mm. because if you're going to say no more coal burning uh, no more coal burning or coal generated electricity well what's going to happen to those people who rely on coal generated electricity what's going to happen to those people who work in the industries that are that are creating you know that doing the coal mining or in that type of electrical generation and something closer to home we have the haze burning today with hot spots popping up all over the region right but if you're to say no more coal then you're going to hurt people's livelihoods yeah. so we have what's being discussed quite a bit now is what is called the just energy transition. So we have to do the energy transition. We have to transition away from coal and other fossil fuels, but we have to do it in a just way. So now the question becomes, if you're going to have a just energy transition, who is going to pay the cost of ensuring that the transition is just? Who is going to say we're going to shut down coal power power plants? Who's going to pay for those workers who are going to lose their jobs? Well, that money's got to come from the more developed nations. Well, I don't see the U.S. and the U.K. and Germany and others stepping up and paying what they need to pay. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly not yet. But at least we get the recognition that, that we need an energy transition. It needs to be a just energy transition. So we're talking about the right things. Whether we're doing the right things, is we're clearly not yet. Lots of talking. There is lots of talking when it comes to ESG. We can only hope. Okay, not talking, but a sad story for me, this one, but absolutely fascinating. I am vaguely aware of panda diplomacy when it comes to China over the years. I'm sure many of our listeners are, but I'm not aware of incidents that have been happening this week in Washington with regards to pandas and China. I never thought geopolitics and pandas would mesh like this. Well, geopolitics and pandas have been meshing since Nixon. Since Nixon. And it was one of the, it, it almost happened by accident. When Richard Nixon was in China for the first time in 1972, when there was the, the dramatic opening, he was there with the first lady, uh, Pat Nixon. Pat Nixon is sitting next to Joe and Lai at a banquet, and she remarks that the pandas on the Chinese premier's cigarette tin were very cute. Brilliant. Joe replies, I'll give you some. (laughs) And that is how the pandas came to the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. I think it was in 1973. This was really the breakthrough in what brought U.S.-China relations together, you know, for the for the first time since the, the communists had taken over in, in, in the 1940s. And so 
you had panda diplomacy and you had you know the you know 20,000 people coming to see the 18 month old pandas that came from China to the National Zoo in Washington DC in the first weekend that they were there and ever since then it has been the major attraction of the National Zoo. I mean, people would come from all over the country. We need to go see the pandas. Did you ever see them? Of course. Mm. Of course. We always, it was a big deal to go see the pandas. It remains a big deal to go see the pandas. But the pandas were not given to the United States. They were not given to the National Zoo. They were loaned to the National Zoo. And so these were always Chinese property. There were always agreements that, one, China could have them back at the end of the agreement if that were going to be the case. And two, if the pandas had any children, those, you know, those baby pandas mm. would be then repatriated back to China. So if you had a, a, it wasn't like the U.S. where there was, you know, birthright citizenship in, 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 for people, but that didn't apply to pandas. So the pandas were always going to be China. And, for the first time since 1973, China has said the agreement's over. We're not going to renew it. You're going to have to bring the pandas home. We're going to take them back to China. And so there's going to be no more pandas in Washington, D.C. And so the National Zoo celebrated uh, this week with a panda palooza. So a very bittersweet time in, in, in Washington where, where we're not going to have pandas anymore. But the rhetoric is something out of a satire. I mean, I was reading one of the politicians, I'm guessing it's a senator, or I mean, it's in the story there, saying pandas should have American citizens' rights along those lines. If they're born here, they should stay here. So even something as seemingly benign and harmless and cute and cuddly as pandas has been swept up in this China-US rhetoric when it comes to geopolitics. Uh, and the the woman who said that, the, the congresswoman who said that, Nancy Mace, is also one who voted to kick Kevin McCarthy out as speaker. <laughs> so kick so, out McCarthy, kick but out keep McCarthy, the pandas. But we have to keep the pandas. And <laughs> so it used to be, right, I mean, the, the diplomacy, there used to be areas where you didn't have geopolitics invading uh, invading everything. So we had what, you know, ping pong diplomacy. That was kind of mm. started up U.S.-China relations. We have panda diplomacy. But now even pandas are getting caught up into the geopolitical nightmare um, in the United States and what's happening between the U.S. and China. And so we're going to see, you know, Xi Jinping is coming to the United States. He and President Biden are going to meet in San Francisco um, as part of the APEC meetings. And so maybe we can get, look, we're not going to get any breakthrough on semiconductors. We're not going to get any breakthrough on human rights. We're not going to get any breakthrough on tariffs. But maybe we get a breakthrough on pandas. <laughs> you would hope so. And can you just briefly tell the part about, I didn't realize till I read the story, that the U.S. gave animals the other way, but they weren't quite as successful as the pandas were in China. I believe George W. Bush went to visit one of them. I think it, it was actually the dad. The dad, yeah, sorry, so, H.W., yes. So we gave, so we got pandas. We, the United States, got pandas. What did we give in return? Musk oxen. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, I, are they cuddly? Are they? I, I know they are. They cute. Why would we give a pair of musk 
oxen. So the musk oxen were in the Beijing Zoo. And so, again, there were no formal relations between the U.S. and China then. So he wasn't ambassador, but U.S. envoy at the time, George H.W. Bush, who, of course, then became president. But he was kind of the, 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 the de facto ambassador. So he went to go visit these musk, ox, musk oxen at the, at the zoo. Um, and he said, oh, where are they? Well, his request was greeted with an awkward silence because the oxen had died pretty much upon arrival in China, but they didn't want to tell anybody. So no one even knew they weren't there, including envoy George H.W. Bush at the time. But by God, you know the pandas are at the National Zoo. I mean, again, they had their panda palooza. There's a panda cam. This is a really sad day in Washington, D.C., not to see the, the pandas being there. And I just hope when Xi Jinping and Joe Biden meet in San Francisco that we can get some agreement to bring the pandas back. Absolutely. As always, wise words from Steve Okin at McClarty Associates. Thanks for coming on, Steve. It's been great. We, of course, Glenn, miss you so much. But I've got to say, Neil's getting very, very good at running the board. So you got to have one eye open even when you're in Tokyo. Oh, it's the longest hour of my life. <laughs> no, it's flown past. It's been an absolute pleasure. Steve Okin, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you, Abby Rose. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.